In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. In the Gospel of today, we have the story of uh, the prodigal son. And in this story, we have two sons, the older son and the younger one. And these two sons represent actually the Jews and the Gentiles. The older son represents the Jews, Israel, the chosen people of God in the Old Covenant. And the Gentiles represented by the younger son. The younger son, the Gentiles accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, in the Old Covenant they were dead. But in the New Covenant, when they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, they become alive. Yes, they were lost, but in the new covenant, by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ, they actually are, uh, are found. And why the Jews did not repent like the Gentiles? The main reason, as St. Paul explained clearly, in the letter to Romans and in the letter to Galatians and many other letters because the sin of the self-righteousness. The Jews were seeking righteousness that comes from themselves. But the Gentiles knew they are sinners and they need a savior. So the Gentiles sought the righteousness that comes from God, that comes from the blood of the Savior, that comes from the compassion and the long-suffering and the loving tenderness of God toward us. And unfortunately, in our life, many of us, the Christian, fall in the sin of self-righteousness, like the older son. And most of the people who are self-righteous, they are blind to their self-righteousness. And that's why they don't realize that they have this sin. That's why the Lord called the leaders of Israel blind guides. They were blind. And in John chapter 9, he told them, if you were blind, means if you admit your blindness, you would not have any sin, because they will seek the righteousness of Christ. But since you say, we see, although they were blind, but they say, we see, they don't admit or acknowledge or realize that they are blind. Since you say we see, therefore your sin remains. That's why today I like to speak with you about this sin, the sin of self-righteousness, which was the sin of the older son. What does it mean to be self-righteous? Self-righteous means you take pride 
in your own actions, in your own words. You feel you are right and others are wrong. You feel that you are following the commandments of God. You feel that you are obedient to God and to the law and to the rules. And when you compare yourself to others, you feel that you are better than them. Like the Pharisee and the tax collector. When the Pharisee prayed, he spoke about his righteousness. I fast two days in the week. I tithe all my money. I am not like the, those, the sinners. I'm not like this tax collector. But the person who doesn't have this sin, he knows that he is a sinner. He is not counting his right, righteous acts. But he knows that he is a sinner. And it is only through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and through his mercy and through his forgiveness I am righteous in front of God because he forgave my sin because he accepted me and when the person actually progress or advance in his spiritual life the more he realizes that he is a sinner St. Paul, in the beginning of his journey, said about the apostles of Christ, Are they the apostles of Christ? I am better. But before his martyrdom, how did he describe himself? He said, I am the first among the sinners. So, when he progressed in his spiritual life, he realizes that he is a sinner, the first among the sinners. But it is through the mercies and the loving kindness of God, he is righteous, righteous in Christ, not because of my own righteous acts. Sometimes we say, I am the first among sinners, but in my heart, I don't see myself this way. So, how can I search myself and ask the Holy Spirit to search me to know whether I am a self-righteous person or not? Especially, as I told you, most of the people who are self-righteous are in denial. If not all of them, they are in denial. They don't realize they are suffering from this sin. So, let us analyze the behavior of the older son. And if we have the same behavior, then we are self-righteous. When he came from the field and heard like a party in the house, and he asked one of the servants, What's going on? And the servant explained to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe, the father received his son safe and sound, 
your father has killed the fatted calf. How he reacted to this? Number one, but he was angry. He was angry. Sometimes, or most of the time, the self-righteous people gets angry. And their anger is not justified. If you tell me here why he was angry, how he can justify his anger? His father did not hurt him. His father did not do anything wrong to him. But do you know why he was angry? Because he feels he deserved this treatment, not his brother. That's self-righteousness. He's angry because he felt that his father should make this celebration and this party for him, not for his brother. So because of this jealousy, because of this envy, because of his self-righteousness, he became angry. How come you make this big celebration for my brother who is a sinner, who is adulterous, and you didn't do it for me? If you get angry because you feel that you deserve a better treatment and you don't get it, then you have the sin of self-righteousness. Sometimes, as I, I tell you, we get angry without any justified reason. It's because our pride, because of our ego, we get angry. That's self-righteousness. Then, what did he do? The second point after he gets angry, he would not go in. Now, he expressed his frustration. And he is upset. He's disappointed. And he wants to make sure that everyone around him knows that he is disappointed. And he is upset. And he refused to get in. Why? He refused to go in. Why? In order to bring the attention to himself. Now the attention is directed to his brother. But he wants the attention to be directed to him, not to his brother. So by staying out, outside and not going in, everybody would say, why the older son did not come in? And now the attention, he is attention seeker. And he uses this disappointment or being upset or separating himself from the rest or isolating himself from the rest in order to send a strong message. I deserve your attention. Or I am better than you. I should not deal with you. I am better than you. I should not deal with you. So, if you get upset quickly, if you get disappointed quickly, and you say, I'm not coming to the church, and just you want to send a message that you are angry and upset, you are a self-righteous person. Because you want to get all the attention toward you. And how you justify it to yourself? Because you don't do anything wrong. 
they are wrong, but I am right. This celebration is 100% wrong. I am right. I'm not going to participate in the works of darkness. I'm not going to participate in this celebration. Then, actually, you can see his pride. He was angry, would not go in. The third point, therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Usually, the self-righteous person doesn't go for reconciliation. Usually, people come and seek reconciliation. People come to please him. People come to say, why you are angry? Why you are disappointed? How can we make you happy? If your behavior makes people around you all the time come to you and tell you, how can we make you happy? What pleases you? What should we do in order for you to be happy and come and participate in this celebration? Then you are self-righteous. And you can see here how the son allowed his father to come out to him. It's not right. The younger should go to the older, not the opposite. If he is upset or disappointed, he should go to his father, not the opposite. Not to wait until the father comes to him outside and pleaded with him. Beg him, please come, please let us be merry, please let us rejoice together. But even in his pride, he feels he is better than his dad. He's better than the father. That's why he waited outside. And when they told him, the father is coming out to you, he was not moved. He waited. And the father pleaded with him, begged him to come in. The fourth point in his behavior, he, the self-righteous son, answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, and I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet, you never give me a young goat, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. If you analyze what he said in this statement, number one, he is justifying himself and he is counting his righteous act. He said, number one, all these years I have been serving you. As if he was doing something. You know, you are the son. That's your house. That's your field. That's your inheritance. You are not serving your father. You are serving actually your own self. But he tried to justify himself and to count his righteous deeds. Exactly like the Pharisee who said, I fast two days. I give the tithe of my money. Sometimes when we come, either with God or with one another, I did this for you, I did that for you, I never did this to you. We count because we feel we are righteous. If you are upset with somebody like your spouse, your children, somebody in the church, and you start to count what you are doing or what you have done, the goodness in you, you are self-righteous. 
The person who is humble should not count what he did. Because we know, even if we do anything good, it's because of God, not because of me. In us, there is no righteousness. It is God, actually, who works in us. So, he is justifying himself. And number two, he blamed his father. He said, you never, yet, you never give me a young goat. And I'm sure the father actually was very kind and generous to him. In the beginning of the parable, you read that the father actually divided all his possessions between his two sons. Although he is still alive, but he divided all his money, all his possessions to his two sons. But usually they forget what others did to them. And they blame others. Usually they point uh, and, and blame others falsely. You never give me a young goat, blaming others. Again, if all what you remember for the other, your spouse, your children, your friend, what they did wrong to you, and you don't remember what they did good to you, then you, you actually are suffering from self-righteousness. And number three, in this, uh, I'm analyzing this statement. He actually blind to his own sins. He said to his father, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. This statement cannot be true. Cannot be true. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Who, who can say this? Which son in the whole world can say to his father, I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. But this actually shows the state of blindness. He's totally blind to his own sins. And number four, the condescending comment and the, the judging others. Listen how he spoke about his brother. He said, but as soon as this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, that's a condescending comment, who has devoured your livelihood with harlot, this one who is adulterous and lived with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then actually he blamed again his father not only because, as he claims, the father never gave him even a young goat to make merry with his friends, but he's blaming the father for loving his son and accepting his son and make this big celebration for the son, for the younger son. So there are actually seven points in the behavior of the older son. And if we have the same behavior, then we are tempted in the sin of self-righteousness. He became angry so easy. He expressed his disappointment and he sought the attention by just staying outside and refused to go in. 
the third point, he actually waited until people come to please him. What can I do to please you? What can make you happy? What I can do so you can come in and celebrate with us the return of your son? Usually people all the time try to make you happy. That's self-righteousness. Number four, he is justifying his actions and counting his good deeds. Number five, he blames others, even his father, without a justifying a reasonable cause. He blamed his father falsely. That's false accusation. Number six, he was totally blind to his sins and he makes a statement like, I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And number seven, it's a condensing, condensing uh, comment. This son of yours and judging others who actually wasted your livelihood was harmed. So these are seven points from the behavior of the older son that can help us to examine ourselves and ask God to examine ourselves lest we are suffering from self-righteousness. The sin of self-righteousness actually one of the very, very destructive sins because people, they don't feel need to repent. They don't feel need to transform their life. They don't feel the need to change their life. They feel they are better. Repentance for the sinners, but I am righteous. That's why the scribes and Pharisees and the religious leaders of Israel were not saved because of self-righteousness. The harlots, the thieves, the tax collectors actually were saved because they realized their sins. They admitted and acknowledged their sins. But our time, many people are moralistic, legalist, and see themselves better than others. And they are in danger of self-righteousness, which actually puts their salvation at high risk. So, who is the lost son here? The lost son is not actually the younger son. The younger son, yes, he was lost but now is found. But the lost son is the older son because of the sin of self-righteousness. And the, the, the parable ended without telling us he entered the house. In his stubbornness, in his pride, in his hypocrisy, in his self-righteousness, he did not enter the house, even after the father pleaded with him. Because again, he believed that he is better than his father. He knows what's right. His father is wrong. That's why he did not enter the house. May the Lord protect all of us from this destructive sin and give us humbleness and give us enlightenment in order to realize that we are sinners and we need his righteousness. His righteousness that comes to us because of his mercies and because of his loving kindness, glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. One of the best revelations 
of God to us that he is Trinity, Triune God. And this actually what distinguish Christianity from any other religion. Because any other religion, they made their own perception about God. And they believed in this image that they portrayed about God. But Christianity actually believed the revelation of God about himself. So when God revealed himself as Trinity, three in one, we actually, this enriched our knowledge about God. But unfortunately, many, many times, when we serve or when we practice or worship, we perceive God as a single hypostasis. Although we say we believe in the Trinity, but all our worship is directed to one hypostasis. And sometimes we confuse the Father with the Son and with the Holy Spirit, etc. So today, through our study of Ephesians chapter 1, we will see the blessings of the Holy Trinity in us. St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 explained the blessing of the Father, three blessings, the blessings of the Son, spoke about five blessings, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit, two. So total ten blessings. And he concluded the chapter with a beautiful prayer that actually we need to pray for ourselves and for our classes, for our students. So let us try to understand these ten blessings from Ephesians chapter 1. He starts from verse 3. Yeah, verse 1 and 2, just introduction, the greeting and introducing himself. Verse 3, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's speaking about the Father here. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And we need to understand this. God blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven, in the heavenly blessing, in the heavenly places. But in order to receive these spiritual blessings, we receive them only in Christ. If we are abiding in Christ, if we are one with Christ, then Christ is the mediator. Through him, we will receive every spiritual blessing in heaven. And this understanding of the Holy Trinity and how they are related to us is very important. The Father gives us every blessing and the Son by the Holy Spirit. The Father gives us every spiritual blessing. How? In the Son. If we are in the Son, how? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who is uniting us with the Son. In the same way, the opposite is true. In order to stand and to speak or 
our adoption to God the Father is in the Son by the Holy Spirit. When we offer our worship, we offer it to the Father in the Son by the Holy Spirit. So, what are, so now after St. Paul is said, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, now he will mention the ten blessings. The first blessing, just as he chose us in him, choosing us, before the foundation of the world, and I'll explain this, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Let's understand this verse. God is not reactive. God did not wait until we fell and then God started to think how he saved us then he made this economy of or, or plan of salvation. That's what I mean, God is not reactive because God is above time, is timeless. So even before the foundation of the world, even before the world was created, God in his economy, in his plan, he chose us in him. Meaning what? Those who will be united with the Son, those who will accept the Son to be their bridegroom, and they become his bride, and the two shall become one. Anyone accept the Son, then he is chosen by God the Father. So, it seems like God chose, but in reality, God chose whom? Those who accepted the Son. As we read in John chapter 1, all those who accepted Him, He gave them authority, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. So, God chose us, God the Father chose us, but chose whom? Chose those who believed in the Son, who accepted the Son to be their bridegroom. And this happened even before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before Him, before God, in love. What does it mean? All of us, we are not holy. All of us. All of us can be easily blamed because of our sins. But when we are uniting with the Son, when we are abiding in the Son, and the Son through His blood covers us, cover our sinfulness, forgive our sins, the blood of Jesus Christ purify us from every sin, then in the Son we'll be holy. We cannot be holy in ourselves, but only in the Son we will be holy. In the Son, will be without blame. But why God did all of this? Because He loved us. He loved us. That's why He chose us to be the bride of His Son. That's why He made His Son die on the cross and shed His blood. So His blood will purify me. So I will be holy and without blame 
in the sun because of his love toward us. So that is the first blessing. He chose us. Chose us to be holy and without blame before him in love. The second blessing, I told you the Father, there are two, uh, three blessings from the Father. The second one, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, adopted to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Predestination. Some denominations believe in predestination that God chose some people and he predestined them to be his children and to inherit the kingdom of God. And you have no right to question this. God is God. Like the Presbyterian Church believes in this. But the predestination based on his foreknowledge as St. Paul said in Romans chapter 8 those whom foreknew he predestined so in his foreknowledge he foreknew who will accept the son who will receive the son so he predestined us who us those whom he chose and who are those whom he chose those who believed in the son those who accepted the son to be the bridegroom so he predestined us to adoption as sons by jesus christ because the two shall become one if jesus is the bridegroom and we are the bride then the two will become one so as in jesus we are holy and blameless also in jesus christ will be children sons to himself and we can call god our father who art in heaven jesus is son by nature we are son by adoption but when god the father decided this to adopt us if this was against his will was he forced to do this no according to the good pleasure of his will according to the good pleasure of his will that's his will that's what he wants and he is pleased he is happy to do this because his will is good because he is good and his mercy endures forever so the first blessing he chose us second blessing he predestined us to adoption and from our part by the way, I told you his book about the blessing in the Father, blessing in the Son, blessing in the Holy Spirit. After each part, he concludes, St. Paul concluded with the doxology by saying to the praise of the glory of his grace. So now he is concluding the three blessings of the Father. That's why he said, we, when we understand these blessings that received from the Father, we will praise the glory of his grace what god actually gave us as a blessing is his grace and we can see how his grace is glorified by choosing us the dust and the ashes 
to be his children. So we are praising the glory of his praise. By which, number three, he made us accepted in the beloved. He accepted us. But how he accepted us in the beloved, in the son. If we are not in the son, we are rejected. Those who accepted the son are accepted by God the Father. So now I know that I am chosen. I am predestined to adoption. I am accepted. But these three blessings are in the Son. And when I understand this, my tongue should praise the glory of His grace to the praise of the glory of His grace. Not only my tongue, but my heart and my tongue, as we say in Kah, praise the Trinity. My tongue and my heart praise the Trinity. So we finished now the three blessings of the Father. He chose us, He predestined us to adoption, He accepted us in the Son, and in the Son we become holy, without blame, children of God the Father, to the praise of the glory of His grace. From verse 7, He will speak about the five blessings in the Son. I told you three in the Father, five in the Son, two in the Holy Spirit. Number one, in Him we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So he spoke about two blessings here, the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The redemption and the forgiveness of sins. In him, in the Son, we have redemption through his blood. What does it mean, redemption? Redemption means what? Redemption means you sacrifice something to save something else. You sacrifice something to save. For example, when St. Paul said, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. In a way he is saying, what you will sacrifice, what activity you are going to sacrifice in order to redeem the time, in order to save the time for more important activity. That's the redemption. So, redeeming us, we have redemption. What was sacrificed in order to save us? Jesus Christ himself. He died on the cross. He became a sacrifice. He shed his blood in order to save us. He died instead of us in order to save us. We were under the sentence of death, but he accepted the sentence of death and died on our behalf so we will be saved. That's why he said, in him we have redemption through his blood. Yes, as human nature we died in him and we were risen with him. That's the meaning of redemption. So the first blessing, he redeemed us. He saved us by sacrificing himself, by dying on the cross, by shedding his blood. That's why he said, in him we have redemption through his blood. The second blessing the forgiveness of sins. Not only he redeemed us and he saved us from the sentence of death, but also we were sinners and we are sinners. He carried all the sins of all the people in all the ages. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. 
St. Paul said, He who doesn't know sin became sin for our sake. Any sin I commit, any sin, the Lord Jesus Christ carried for me. And he died on the cross on my behalf. So my sins will be forgiven. So the penalty of sin will be removed. So I can stand before God the Father as innocent, free of guilt, not guilty, because the Lord Jesus Christ became sin for me. So redemption, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. But again, why he did all of this? Is it because we are worthy? Is it because we deserve it? No. We are not worthy. We don't deserve it. But he did this according to the riches of his grace. Grace means a free gift. Free gift given to us, not based on our worthiness, but based on his love toward us, based on his goodness. That's why in the second host in Midnight Places, we repeat, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. He is good and his mercy endures forever. According to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Maybe if we see somebody, a very, very rich man, you know, getting people who are homeless and very poor and very needy and distributing to them money and give them uh, lands to, to possess and business to acquire, etc. Maybe some will question his wisdom. Say, is he wise to do all of this? How he can distribute all of this? Is he encouraging the people to be lazy? We will question his wisdom. So lest anybody question the wisdom of God, when actually he gave us his grace abundantly, the riches of his grace. That's why St. Paul in verse 8, he said, yes, he made his grace to abound toward us, abound toward us, but in all wisdom and prudence. God knows what he is doing. God is not just doing all of this, yeah, may he forgive me, out of foolishness, definitely not, but in all wisdom and in all prudence. Don't question the wisdom of God, even if you don't comprehend it, even if you don't understand it. Because as St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the foolishness of God is wise than the wisdom of the world, is wiser than the wisdom of the world. The third blessing in verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. So the third blessing, he revealed to us, he made known to us, made known to us means revealed to us the mystery of his will. It's a mystery, but it is revealed only to his children. What is the mystery of his will? The mystery of his will is to save all of us and to make us, not, not only to save us, but to give us the inheritance of the kingdom of God, to be children and to inherit the kingdom of God and to make us one in heaven, who are in heaven and who are on earth will be one with him 
That's the mystery of his will. Why the world failed to be one? And you hear every now and then about wars, divisions in the world, parties, different parties. But God, in, in Jesus Christ, he will make all of us, heaven and earth, one and one with God. That's a mystery. It's beyond our comprehension how this will happen. And this mystery he revealed to us. He made known to us the mystery of his will. And again, this revelation, St. Paul, every now and then, he emphasized that when God did this, he did it with prudence, with wisdom, not forced, but that is his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. God is doing this intentionally, according to his purpose, according to his determination. He knows what he is doing. It's not by accident, it's not by chance. He purposed even before the foundation of the world. And that is his good pleasure to reveal to us this mystery. The fourth blessing, verse 9, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. That is the fourth blessing. He is saying in the dispensation of the fullness of the time. Fullness of the time when he comes to judge the world. So at the end of this world and the beginning of eternal life. So in the dispensation, dispensation means in the economy, in the plan. So when the plan of the fullness of time is fulfilled, in the second coming of Jesus Christ. What will happen? He, the Father, might gather together in one all things in Christ, the unity. Everything will be united together in one, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him, in Christ. Those outside Christ will not be in this economy. One of the very common questions people ask, say, if I know a person who is good and he has good deeds and charitable deeds, etc., etc., but he does not believe in Christ, would he be saved? What do you think? Would he be saved? Here's the answer. You need to be in Christ to be accepted, to be chosen, to be predestined to, to, to adoption, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, so you know the mystery of his will, and you will be part of this oneness, because in Christ, he will gather those heaven and those on earth. And this will happen in the dispensation of the fullness of time. So our responsibility, instead of asking this question, is to tell the people, either you are in Christ or you are not. If you are in Christ, you will have all these blessings and you are saved. If you are not, there is no other name can save you except the name of Christ. That's what St. Peter said in the book of Acts. There is no other name can save people except the name of Christ. So the fourth blessing in Christ, the unity, the oneness in, in Him, in Christ. In Him, He will gather together in one all things, both which are in heaven and on earth. Redemption, forgiveness of sins, revelation of the mystery of His will, the unity and oneness in Christ.
Number five, in him, in Jesus Christ. Also, we have obtained an inheritance. The son is eligible for inheritance, only the son. We, by the nature, not children. By nature, we are not children. So we are not eligible for inheritance. But if we accept Jesus as our bridegroom and we are his bride, and the two shall become one, then in Jesus, in him only, we will inherit the kingdom of God. In him also, we have obtained an inheritance. Uh, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So the fifth blessing, we are became heirs of the kingdom as children. And this is done according to the purpose of him. Again, not by chance, not by accident, not against his will, but that's his purpose. That is what he determined even before the foundation of the world. Why? Because his love, his kindness, the richness of his grace, being predestined according to the person of him, of God, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. According to the counsel of his will. So that's his will. That we who first trusted in Christ, first trusted mean we who first believed in Christ, believed in him, should be to the praise of his glory. I told you every part concludes with doxology, praise of his glory. After he finished the three blessings of the Father, said to the praise of his glory. Here he finished the five blessings of the Son. He concluded that we, the believers who first trusted in Christ, who believed in Christ, should be to the praise of his glory, to praise the glory of the richness of his grace. The Father, number one, chose us to adoption. Adoption, number three, accepted us. The son, number one, redemption. Number two, forgiveness. Number three, revelation of his, the mystery of his will. Number four, um, four, number four for the son. The unity and the oneness in Christ. And uh, number five in the son, predestined us to inheritance. Verse 13. In him you also trusted. After in him, in Jesus, you also trusted, you believed in Jesus, that he will save us, he will give us the inheritance of the kingdom of God. In him we will be adopted, etc., etc. will be chosen, will be accepted, etc. After you heard the word of truth, after we preached the word of truth to you, you trusted the Son, you believed in the Son. After you heard the word of truth, which is the gospel, the gospel means the good news of your salvation. Can you imagine, we were under sentence of death, we will perish, that is the bad news. Then Christ came and sent the apostles to send good news to the people. You are saved, you are not going to hell. You are going to heaven as a children. You have inheritance of the kingdom of God. God the Father chose you. God the Father accepted you. God the Father adopted you. God the Son redeemed you. God the Son forgave you. God the Son revealed his mystery to you. God the Son will make everything 
one in him. God the Son uh, predestined you to the inheritance. These are the good news. That is the gospel. That's the word of truth. That's the gospel of your salvation. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the first blessing in the Son, we are sealed. We are sealed. Yani we are sealed. If there is a document, and then you notarize the document, then this notarization makes this document official, real. Nobody can actually cast doubt on it. It is true, original document. Because it is sealed. It is sealed. It is like, Muslim, if you have a book, and then you put your seal on this book, or we purchase a book for the church, and then we put the seal of the church on this book. This means this book belongs to the church. You cannot take it. The book that you have, your seal on it, it's yours. No one can take it. It's yours. So, God sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise. Means, when he put the seal of the Holy Spirit in the sacrament of chrismation, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. God said all the promises that I give you in the Son, forgiveness of sins, salvation, adoption, inheritance, etc., are true. And here is my seal on you. You belong to me. You are mine. The evil one cannot claim you. You are mine. So, the Holy Spirit sealed us. The Holy Spirit witnessed that we are the children of God. As St. Paul said in Romans, Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit witnessed that we are the children of God. Satan cannot claim us to be his anymore. And the second place, the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Arif, when Muslim you purchase house, you put money as down payment. That's called earnest money. So that's a guarantee that you, you will, this house you will get it. So when we received the Holy Spirit in the day of baptism in chrismation, this actually is a guarantee also of our inheritance, that the adoption and the inheritance is true. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the precious position to the praise of his glory? So, he is guarantee until the redemption, the full redemption in the second coming of Christ. When we become the children and we inherit the kingdom of God, the full adoption, as St. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, we are waiting eagerly for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased position. God purchased, who, who are the purchased position? We are. We are now the, the position of God. He owns us because He purchased us. You were purchased not with silver and gold or precious stone, but you were purchased with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ.
So, the redemption of the precious position, precious position is us. Again, to the praise, as I told you, each section concluded by to the praise of his glory, zoxology. So, what are the two blessings of the Holy Spirit? Sealed us, and he is the guarantee of our inheritance. Sealed us, and the guarantee of our inheritance. So, now it's easy. So, let's review the ten blessings. The Father chose us, predestined us to adoption, accepted us. The Son redeemed us, forgive, forgive our sin, revealed the mystery of His will, the unity and oneness, inheritance, He predestined us to inheritance as a children. And the Holy Spirit sealed us and He is our guarantee. Then from verse 15, St. Paul is saying, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, you cannot believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you hate his people. You cannot. If you believe him, believe in him, and you are his bride, then all of us who are in him. So if all of us, we are in him also, then you should love all of us because we all are in him. St. Paul said, when I heard about your faith and your love to all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. I am happy, I am glad, I am joyful, so I give thanks on your behalf. Make mention of you in my prayer, and I remember you in my prayer. I pray for you. Why? This is a beautiful prayer, and I hope that we can also pray this prayer for our students and our class. He said, I pray that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So the first thing actually, he is praying that God may give them wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him. Wisdom, it's heavenly wisdom. To understand the mystery of God. You cannot understand the mystery of the Holy Trinity, the mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of the salvation, unless you have this heavenly wisdom. And also the revelation in knowledge of him. We know God through revelation. God reveals himself to us. We don't know God through hypothesis or speculation. We are not making hypotheses about God, then we prove it right or wrong. No. The scientific method cannot be used to know God. Again, the scientific method cannot be used to know God. Knowledge of God comes through revelation. God reveals to us who He is. God reveals to us who he is. That's why he is saying, I am praying that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And when you have the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation, the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. Enlightened by the light of God. 
With your light, we shall see light. بِنُورَكَ رَبُّ لُعَيْنَ النُّورِ With your light, we shall see light. Enlightenment doesn't come from reading. Enlightenment doesn't come from human knowledge, earthly knowledge. Sometimes in our time, if you are liberal, they will call you enlightened. But this is according to the world. But according to God, if you have the spirit of wisdom, the heavenly wisdom, if you have the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Him, then your mind, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That's the enlightenment. comes from the Holy Spirit. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation and knowing God, then the eyes of your mind, eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. So if we have these three things, spirit of wisdom, spirit of revelation and knowledge God, and the eyes of our understanding are enlightened, then what we will know, that you may know, number one, what is the hope of his calling? Number two, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? So when you have these three things, you will understand what is the hope of his calling. You are Christian. Why God called you to be Christian? What God called you to be his son? You cannot understand this unless you have the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation and knowledge of him, and the eyes of your understanding are enlightened. And also to know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And I have to tell you a story here. One time, a youth came to me and he told me this. Sayyidna, Anna, I don't want to go to heaven. I think heaven will be very boring to me. They praise without ceasing. I cannot endure five minutes in the church. I choose heaven because the other option is hell. You know why he is saying this? Because he doesn't know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I'm serious here. If we know the riches of his glory, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, we would not say this. We say in the litany for the departed, which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, did not come upon the heart of man. But when we have the spirit of wisdom, when we have the spirit of revelation, when we have the eyes of our understanding are enlightened, we will know the hope of our calling, and also we will know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, the gift that God will give us the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And also we will know something else. Number three, we will know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Why he is saying this? Sometimes many of us who say to go to heaven is impossible. It's very difficult. I'm not like St. Mary, I'm not like Pope Carolus, I'm not like St. Mark. So he's saying, do you know why you are saying this? Because you don't know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. God is willing to give us this power when you believe in him. And this power is great. Not only great, 
but exceedingly great. That's what he said. The exceeding greatness of his power. Don't say I am weak anymore. Don't say I cannot overcome this sin anymore. Don't say I cannot overcome this bad habit anymore. You need to know the exceeding greatness of his power toward you. And he gives us an example to understand what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. He said the example according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ. See what God the Father did in Christ. And since I am in Christ, he will do everything he did in Christ he can do in me. Because I am in Christ now. According to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ. For example, when he raised him from the dead. When he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly place. When he put him far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. When he put all things under his feet, the feet of Christ. And when he gave Christ to be the head of all things to the church. So if God the Father did all these things to Christ, he can do everything in you also because you are in Christ. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. And that's a, a very theological, powerful expression. The church is the fullness of Christ. Who is? Because he is God he, who fills all of all. So, St. Paul is trying to say, when you have three things, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation of his knowledge, and the eyes of your understanding are enlightened. When you have these three things, you will understand the three things. You will understand, number one, what is the hope of your calling? Number two, you will know the riches of the glory of his inheritance. You will know the riches of the glory of the inheritance. So you will not say, I don't want to go to heaven. And number three, you will know the exceeding greatness of his power toward you. And as an example, to understand the exceeding greatness of his power toward you, see what he did in Christ. He raised him, he seated him at the right hand or in the heavenly places, above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in that to come. He put all things under his feet. He gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So in our prayer for our children, we need to pray for them. As St. Paul said, when we mention them in our prayer, we need to pray that God may give them three things. What are these three things? The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation in his knowledge and enlightenment of the eyes of their understanding. And when they, know the, when they have these three things, then they can understand three things. They will know three things. Number one, the hope of our calling. Number two, the riches of the glory of the inheritance. This gift toward us. And number three, the exceeding greatness of his power 
and the example what he did in Christ he can do in us so I hope now and this chapter is very clear in our mind he said the ten blessing of the Holy Trinity and then the prayers the blessings number one he chose us number two he predestines us to adoption number three accepted us number four redemption number five forgiveness or sins number six revelation of the mystery of his word number seven the unity and oneness in Christ number eight the inheritance then the Holy Spirit number nine sealed us and number ten he is a guarantee very good then he is praying that they have three things number one spirit of wisdom number two the spirit of revelation in his knowledge number three the eyes of their understanding be enlightened in order to know three things number one the hope of our calling number two the richness of the glory of the inheritance in the saints and number three the exceeding greatness of his power toward us and what is the example of his power whatever he did in Christ he can do in me if I am in Christ. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.